Welcome, security peeps. Um, as you can see, I'm not Renee Smalls. Um, she is unable to make it today, so I will be hosting solo. But we have Matthew Nicklin with us today from Illinois. And this is, again, part of our UMUC month. So Matthew is a graduate from UMUC, and he has recently converted um, into the cybersecurity arena. Uh, just for our audience, a little bit of context, if you haven't seen one of our episodes before, uh, the format of the show is that we'd interview individuals who have broken into security in the past five years so that they can share their uh, the challenges that they've experienced and how they overcame those challenges so that possibly you can learn from their experiences on your own journey into breaking into security. Uh, so. Uh, Matthew, uh, welcome to our show. Uh, would you mind um, giving a little background on your audience and um, let's get this started? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I work in the power grid side. I, uh, I do NERC SIP compliance and uh, I work more in OT uh, than IT. I'm not sure how familiar everybody is with IT versus OT, but OT is uh, the industrial side. So it's where the, uh, the, the virtual connects to the physical. Um, so you've, I'm sure you've heard in the news, there's lots of talk anymore about grid attacks, cyber grid attacks, and, and my job is to basically protect against that. So I work with, for a, a smaller generation and transmission utility doing NERCSIP compliance and cybersecurity on the OT side. And how was that coming in? I know so far the guests that we've interviewed have all had challenges coming into the IT side of security. Um, is it harder? from your experience, even going to the OT side where now you're going into a totally different environment um, that might be different from your traditional IT environment? I never actually uh, had the opportunity to do cybersecurity in the IT side. I was a systems administrator for 15 years. Uh, so I had a lot of experience with database and online um, uh, e-commerce type stuff. Uh, so coming into cybersecurity was different to begin with. And then in OT environment, be, be quite honest with you, when I came on board, I really had no idea what I was doing or what I would be doing. Um, it, it, it's kind of cool in that uh, I don't have that many users, but I have a whole lot of devices. Uh, we don't typically use uh, DNS uh, like a typical IT network and a couple other services, but we have other protocols and other services that we use that you wouldn't see in an IT environment. So uh, a lot of... Uh, IOT devices, you know, uh, and a lot of uh, other devices uh, that we use uh, in the place of where you would typically have users. So, like I said, a lot of devices, fewer users. It was challenging when I came on board, too, because NERC SIP version 5 had is the reason I was hired. Basically, it came into uh, existence about a year after I started. And my, my role here was uh, not only to eventually take this over and make it my baby, but uh, I played a very large part in actually setting up the cybersecurity program for uh, this facility because prior to SIP version 5, uh, they were not uh, held to these uh, cyber requirements uh, that other utilities were. Can you explain to our users what uh, SIP is, what it stands for? My apologies, yes. Uh, SIP is a NERC standard. So NER NERC is the uh, North American Electric Reliability Corporation. Uh, they put out standards uh, that power uh, utilities must follow. If they don't follow them, they uh, risk uh, getting substantially fined. I mean, upwards of a million dollars sometimes for some of these fines. 
Uh, so SIP is the critical infrastructure protection version or, or standard of uh, NERC's uh, requirements that they have that utilities have to follow. So it's the cybersecurity side of the, uh, of the, the requirements. So uh, on the IT side, would that be similar to, say, um, NIST uh, compliance frameworks, things like that? Yes, very similar. And and just a little neat fact, uh, NERC-SIP is actually followed by other countries outside the United States. Uh, Australia, for example, actually uses our all our research and our standard uh, for their for themselves. Very interesting. Very interesting. So let's talk about um, your journey, what prepared you, uh, what you did up before getting into cybersecurity, um, what, what did you do to, to prepare yourself to forward this transition? Sure. Um, I was a little different probably than most. Uh, I, I Instead of going to school after high school, I actually got hired by a local computer shop. I worked for several mom and pop computer shops right out of high school. Um, so I went to college late in life. Uh, so I spent, like I said, 15 years in IT doing mostly uh, small business IT um, databases, a little bit of e-commerce. I did work for about five years on uh, for, for MedQuist on a, uh, a medical transcription dictation system. And that was very interesting. So I became, um, I came, or I fell in love with enterprise IT at that point. And I knew I wanted to get back into enterprise IT. And, and to be quite honest with you, it wasn't until after I decided to go back and finish up uh, college and go back and do my undergrad that I had the opportunity to really step into what I would call enterprise level IT. And just uh, I really believe that if you're going to be in IT, you really need to get your degree. I know a lot of people are against it. Some people are for it. But I'm one of those people that are all for going out and getting your bachelor degree. Um, just to, to give you an example, it was I, I was interviewed one month after I graduated with my undergrad. And, and two months later, I was hired. Um, wow. it, it changed my life. So I recommend anybody to go out there and finish up your undergrad. Do you, do you think that was because of the prestige of the school or um, your resume? What's some of the feedback that you had when, when you interviewed? Yeah, I don't really think it was prestige of the school. I went to Southern Illinois University. It's a local okay. university here. Um, probably, well, at one time, 20,000 students. I think they're down to about 15 now. Uh, I, I don't really think it was prestige. Um, it was just the fact that I had my four-year degree that I think helped me out. I'm sure the fact that I had experienced um, assisted as well as, as actually getting the job. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I applied for this job kind of out of a whim. Uh, I ran into uh, somebody that worked here. Um, I always carry around a book with me. I'm a geek. Um, I actually ran into him at a baseball game. I was carrying around a book and he's like, what are you reading? And he says, Hey, you know, you ought to, you ought to come apply down at my company. They're looking for somebody like you. And, and one thing led to the next, I was hired. So that's how I ended up in cybersecurity. I really wasn't even trying to get into cybersecurity so much. Um, don't get me wrong, I would have loved to have had a cybersecurity job. I'm thankful that I ended up with one, but I, I, I really thought at the time I was going to have to accept like a, an IT position before I got into cybersecurity. Okay. Um, and so that was before your, your master's with uh, UMUC that you Correct. got that role? I, I did not finish my master's at UMUC until um, after I was employed in my current role for about a year. Uh, the company here actually paid for my master's, so I was very thankful for that. Okay. And how do you feel your master's helped you either prepare or better handle uh, the role that you're currently in? A lot of my undergrad was spent in, um, you know, systems design, networking, database, uh, really didn't do a whole lot in cybersecurity. <clears throat> I did uh, compete on the collegiate cyber defense competition team at, at Southern Illinois University, uh, security dogs. 
Um, and that's probably where I became really interested in cybersecurity. But uh, but yeah, at UMUC, um, that master's degree, because I did the cybersecurity technology master's, um, it really kind of put everything, how am I trying to say it? It, it changed my mindset. Um, I looked at security a little different. And I think I think a lot of people look at cybersecurity from the outside that have not been involved in it. And they think, oh, you know, I'm going to spend all day messing with firewalls or whatever. And that's really not the truth. I mean, I... I do a lot of paperwork. Uh, I can't express how much paperwork I do. Um, and and I've, I've talked to other cybersecurity professionals and they tell me the same thing. It's it's a lot of paperwork. And and yeah, you do get to play with firewalls and you do get to look at the security of your, your, your infrastructure and make sure that everything's locked down and secure and you're constantly massaging it. Uh, but the paperwork side, it's real. Uh, pay attention to your technical writing classes. Okay, okay. Um... Outside of your your formal education, um, do you have any certs that you felt uh, helped prepare you for this journey? Um, what are your thoughts on certifications versus just on the job training? Um, I, I do. I have completed the CompTIA uh, A plus, Network Plus, and Security Plus, which I I kind of that's kind of like a common three to me. I don't really think a whole lot of of them. I, I don't think they necessarily got my job for me. I should say, you know, I. They're great certs. Everybody needs to do them, but they're like one on one. I think a person definitely needs to work on a CEH, CISSP uh, certification if they really want to, you know, get in cybersecurity and move up the ladder. Which I have hopes and dreams of completing someday, but I've been so busy with my job, it's hard to keep up with certs at the same time. No, definitely, definitely. So it, it sounds like you kind of fell into your job. Um, as you mentioned, you were just at the baseball game talking to someone and you had a book. And so that kind of made your transition very easy. Um, had you been thinking or looking for a job before that or not really? Yes, I was actually interviewing at several places at the time. Okay. Um, most of them, like I said, were IT. Um, it's not that I wouldn't have took a cybersecurity job, obviously. Uh, I would love to have had one. But like I said at the time, I, I guess I just didn't have enough faith in myself to think that I was ready. Uh, and and I, I actually now that I've had the job for a while, I was ready. And, um, I, you know, I, I believe most people that have been in IT are, are probably ready. They just need to get their foot in the door and, and actually try it out. And they're going to start learning stuff very, very quickly on the job. So you bring up a valid point. Um, I think a lot in the industry uh, feel that imposter syndrome where um, they, yep. they feel that you're not really ready for a role like that. And um, you kind of alluded to that as well. Uh, what words of advice would you give to someone for uh, overcoming that? Uh, uh, have faith in yourself. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of what you do when you actually get on the job, you're going to be doing, number one, a lot of paperwork. You're going to be keeping up on patches. You're going to be uh, reviewing open ports. You're going to be documenting. Um, uh, you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be messing with firewalls. And, and you know what? I say that that's all stuff that I do. Cybersecurity is, is a broad topic. Uh, everybody has a different role. Uh, I happen to work at a smaller uh, place. We only have like 150 employees and cybersecurity pretty much falls on my shoulders. So I get to play with a little bit of everything. Um, I, there are people that do nothing more than um, policies. I shouldn't say nothing more, but that do policies only or people that do patching only. Um, have more faith in yourself. I, I think cybersecurity is starting to um, spread its roots to where even like 
what you would typically think is like an IT position is now considered cybersecurity because it's applying updates or patches that address security vulnerabilities. So um, have faith in yourself. Try for those jobs. Yeah, you never know what's going to break loose for you and, and work out in your favor. I would definitely agree with that. I think um, security should be a part of everyone's role because as many people as we currently have in cybersecurity or as many people as that are trying to come into cybersecurity, um, those skills simply don't scale. So we need everyone to be part of the solution, whether that's uh, through security awareness um, and you need marketing people and educators and trainers to help with the security awareness, as well as uh, technologists to help implement security um, solutions or controls that uh, don't make their, the user's life too hard, but still accomplishing what they need to accomplish. Exactly, yeah. Um, so how do you keep current uh, in your role to make sure that you're at the top of your game, you're aware of what's coming down and um, to be the best that you can be? Yeah, I have ADHD when it comes to studying and reading books. Um, it seems like every time I find a hot topic that I want to know about, I pick up a book and I read a couple chapters out of it and I put the book down and then I pick up the next book and read a couple chapters out of it. I really wish I had um, more control to really stick with one thing and, and follow it through. But you know, to be quite honest with you, things move so fast. Uh, it's all you can do to, you know, just get through every day that read about whatever you need to know that day and move on to the next thing. Uh, but as far as staying up, uh, staying current, I, you know, don't, I always tell people if, if, if cyber, if you're only interested in cybersecurity for the money or because you think you're going to get, you know, wealthy beyond your means when you get into this, this job role or somebody's told you that, Hey, this is where you need to be at. You're doing it for the wrong reason. Do this because you're passionate about it. If you're not passionate about this, you're going to hate it. Um, because I've got news for you. When you come out of school, that was just the beginning. You're going to continue to study. You're going to continue to um, learn about new technologies. And it, it never stops. Uh, you're, you're always uh, going to feel like you're one step behind where you need to be. And it's just because the whole industry moves too quickly. Okay. Okay. And do you have um, a preferred set of places you go to, to keep up with that? I mean, I know buying physical books um, might be slow. So uh, did you keep up with websites, podcasts, anything like that, or just uh, traditional books? Yeah, I, I take advantage of several different uh, websites. I mean, some of the common ones like Dark Reading, uh, SC Magazine, but, you know, um, there's some other obscure uh, power specific cybersecurity sites I visit as well. Um, so I, I visit those uh, O'Reilly Book Safari. I got to plug them. Uh, you got to go with them. And IT Pro TV are, are my go tos for learning new stuff. Okay. Okay. I don't think many people have uh, mentioned IT Pro TV. Uh, so let me post the link in <laughs> for that. Um, Yeah, I, they've, they've got good content. Yeah, I've, I think I've used them. I used them once or twice before. I think I had a seven-day trial. And I think it was actually when I was preparing for my CISSP, I found that their, um, their course was really good. It kind of provided a entertaining ask, angle on learning the material. Yeah, if you're sick and twisted like me, it's something that you can sit at home and watch on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. It's almost like watching TV. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 
for for those for those in our audience that might be interested in learning the difference between IT and OT, uh, would you mind explaining that a, a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, so in in IT, as I mentioned, you have users and you have different services such as DNS and stuff and email. We don't have that in OT. Uh, we also don't typically connect directly to the internet. Um, we're actually usually buried deep beyond several firewalls. And um, things are different like as far as updates, uh, say Microsoft updates, we don't actually connect out to Microsoft update to download those. We actually import them via sneaker net. So all updates get imported via sneaker net, um, which may sound okay, yeah, really easy. And, and it's not hard, but at the same time, until you sit down and really think about, okay, how am I going to accomplish this? And you start following through, how do you export WSS? How do you re-import WSS? Um, and, and, you know, and, various other updates that normally would go out to the internet and grab, you, you can't do that. Um, some other differences, let me think here, uh, just dealing with uh, devices. Um, so you don't have your typical Windows or Linux uh, machine to grab logs from. You've got these physical devices and, and sometimes you struggle with trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to collect logs from this? Or how am I going to monitor this device? Um, so some of that stuff becomes very challenging. Um, let's try to think of some other differences here for you. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just it's just a different environment. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had lots of devices. Um, I, I assume some of those are spread over uh, large distances. How do you work with them remotely to be able to ensure that they're healthy and working as expected? We use uh, microwave and uh, to a lesser extent, um, optical ground wire, uh, which optical ground wire is essentially a uh, ground wire that runs on the uh, power line that inside of it runs fiber optic cable. Uh, so it allows a, a high speed connection out to that device. But, you know, our stuff is spread out miles uh, apart from each other, uh, substations and stuff. So uh, microwave is, is our, you know, our, our main method of communicating with those devices. Okay, okay. Um, I know there's been a lot of things in the news recently of um, foreign foreign countries trying to invade our um, infrastructure. How does that keep you up at night being in cybersecurity in this field and trying to secure uh, your little part of um, the power system to ensure that it doesn't become part of that larger um, outage or part of that larger attack if it does happen? Yeah, so in IT, uh, most of your bad actors that you would, you would typically associate with would be uh, criminals, organized crime, trying to gain in access into access um, PII that they could turn around and resell or, or whatever. Uh, with critical infrastructure, I mean, there's really nothing to gain by taking us down other than crippling the, the country or, critically, uh, or crippling the power supply. So you're dealing with nation state actors, like you mentioned. Um, these nation state actors are uh, typically employed uh, by the government. They have resources. They have money beyond any kind of organized crime would typically have. So, yeah, it keeps you up at night. Uh, the fear is, are they there? And you don't know it. Um, so, you know, you, you do what you can and, and, and do your best to protect the system. Okay, okay. Um, so for our audience that might be interested in coming into the OT side um, and knowing that you've worked 
with your current employer for about three years now. Um, what sort of advice would you give to them um, if they wanted to specialize in OT versus IT? Yeah, if you if you if you want to get into OT, and I I highly recommend it. I mean, energy is a, a good sector to be in. Uh, it's not going anywhere. Um, go go to the NERC website, NERC.com, in NERC.com. Uh, go on there, look at the standards, look at the, look up the SIP standards, and read through them. Um, it's an exciting read. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, you you should check it out. Um, go through them, and you'll get an idea of what what we're dealing with and what you need to know uh, just by going through those standards. Um, there, some some places have started to teach um, NERC-SIP and and industrial controls. Uh, SANS I know has a has a set of classes now on NERC-SIP, um, and Cisco has a certification out now for uh, industrial controls as well. Have you done any of those courses, or uh, just based on um, industry scuttlebutt? <laughs> yeah, I, I have not. Okay. And really, to be honest with you, at this point, I've been involved with it so much that I probably wouldn't even consider it. Um, once you've been in around these standards long enough, you, you start getting a feel for what they are. And I mean, you understand them. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, something, something a little bit different between IT and OT that, mm -hmm. that I typically bring up is that in IT, you're worried about protecting information. Uh, making sure the information's available and making sure it remains uh, confidential. Uh, in OT, while the information is valuable and we don't want to lose it, it's not our main focus. Our main focus is operation, hence the name operational technology. So we're trying to maintain operation, make sure we have uptime. Uh, so there's a little bit of difference there between IT and OT, where IT, like I said, you're trying to protect the data. OT, you're trying to protect the uptime. So in looking at it from the CIA triad, um, you're more focused on availability versus uh, right. confidentiality and integrity. Right, right. Is there also that aspect of integrity to make sure that um, the information that you're getting back from your devices uh, is truly reflective of the state of that device um, versus if it's being manipulated by an uh, uh, outside actor? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you certainly don't want to get back a bad read that says, hey, this device is up when it's actually down and somebody's, you know, turned it off on you. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, if there's, is there anything else that you could think of um, based on your experience so far, um, whether on the cybersecurity side or the OT side that you would share for someone who um, might be applying for hundreds of roles or interviewing with many different companies that um, while you were interviewing that might help them along with their journey? Uh, certainly. I, you know, the job role that I applied for, I know that the ad actually said uh, electrical engineering and I think maybe a computer science major and I was an IT major. And I know that I've talked to some people and that sometimes scares them off. Um, it's kind of my understanding now I've, I've looked, I've looked out for several other job postings and just kind of seen what they actually put in there. And, and I think that various industries, um, I think, I think in it, I think people are more, more in tune with, okay, it, we want it degree, computer science degree, whatever. But I think a lot of these industrial control jobs, because they're so new, I, I don't think they really know what degree to ask for. And, and so they were, like I said, they were advertising for computer science or electrical engineering. Uh, I applied with an IT degree, 
uh, really just because somebody told me to apply, I probably normally wouldn't have applied for it because I would have said, I don't have a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I was what they were looking for. Uh, so I guess my where I'm going with all this is my advice is if, if you see a job out there that says they want a computer science or electrical engineering, but you look at the job role and you say, man, I could do that. Apply for it. Don't don't pass it up. It, it may be that the people that are doing the hiring maybe just aren't really sure what they what they need. And when you were going through the interview process, um, do you feel that they they asked you about areas that you weren't aware of as yet? And how did you handle those challenges uh, considering that you hadn't been in the field yet? Yeah, absolutely. I got nailed with all kinds of questions regarding NERCSIP and OT environment. And I was honest with them. I told them that, hey, yeah, I've not worked in this environment before. But, but you know, I think that's the right thing to do. You definitely don't want to go in and tell them you are when you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you're you're your roles that you've had in the past or your experiences that you had or your education that you have in IT is going to apply to OT. Um, yeah, you're going to have some differences, but but for the most part, your skill set is still going to work in an OT environment. Okay, okay. Um, I know we're approaching close to the end of our time, so uh, I'll leave the last couple of minutes to you. If there's any sage advice that you would offer um, someone going through this similar journey, um, what, what, what would it be? Yeah, I'm going to go back to what I mentioned before. You've got to be passionate about this or you're not going to succeed. You're going to live and breathe this every day. Don't expect to go on the job, work eight to five and go home. It's not going to happen. You're going to deal with this after you go home. Um, You're going to have weekends that you have to go to work and and work on this stuff. Um, And and you're going to have to constantly keep your finger on the pulse of your system. Um, If you don't, you're going to miss something. Uh, So, my biggest advice is, like I said, I, I, I hear so many people say they get into this field just before the money or just because um, somebody told them to. If you don't love this, if you don't do this on your own, if this isn't your hobby, you're, I'm not going to say you're going to fail, but you're probably not going to succeed either. Um, so, so my advice is, like I said, if you're passionate about this, go for it. If you're not, you may want to look for something else. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Matthew, and we really appreciate it. Um, We have one more lined up next week uh, from UMUC, and I just want to send happy holiday greetings to all of our listeners. Thank you so much. And Matthew, have a happy holiday as well. You as well and everybody else. Okay. Take care.